People talk loud when they want to act smart, right? Correct! So if we play loud, people might think we're good. Everybody ready? And the one, and the two, and the one, two, three, four! Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. My name is Sterling. And hey, this is Clow. We are the Film School Brats. This is a show where we talk about movies, TV, entertainment. Today we're going to be talking about two films that initially we picked because we figured these were two new streamer releases. But Clow actually realized, and I I'd never thought about it either, that <laughs> <laughs> they're two movies from the Washington father-son duo. That is John David Washington and of course his father, the legendary Denzel Washington. I'm actually so happy that you also had not made the connection because I felt so... It was like right in front of us the whole time. And I thought Sterling's going to think I'm like so out of it today. Nope. Clearly no. I am no more sophisticated than you. I mean, we were thinking about what to do for our next episode last week. And we thought, well, how about these two movies? Because they're like two new releases and they're two new movies that you can access at home through streamers. Of course, this is the second movie in the HBO Max release format now. Yeah. I wonder how that went down between them because you can't really compare box office numbers. So I think they're probably going more into, and I don't know HBO, how they do their, like if they release numbers to their filmmakers or not, but are the Washington father and son comparing reviews? Like <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes scars? Are they, they're competing. As far as I'm concerned, this is to the death. Yes. Uh, also, do... something fun that I thought, sorry to interrupt, but something fun that I was thinking about while watching these movies was, I'm sure John David Washington watched The Little Things. And then when I was watching Malcolm and Mary, I was like, I'm sure, you know, Denzel Washington watched this movie. I do know that Denzel was paid about $20 million to do The Little Things. So The Little Things is not a cheap movie. Yeah. Little Things, the big paychecks. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> and of course, Malcolm and Marie is a lockdown covid movie so i don't know the exact budget i think it was 2.5 million okay that's moderately small i suppose mm -hmm. i mean well denzel washington himself got 20 million <laughs> in yes. this other movie yes the whole that's thing true. so we'll talk about these two movies but first of course <laughs> just gotta open my spin drift a little asmr we are not we are not sponsored, but it would be incredible if we were. So anyone with Spindrift hookups, let us know. I'm a huge fan. Anybody who follows me on social media knows that I've been very obsessed with these drinks. But actually, first, what have you been watching? <laughs> I'm down to keep talking about Spindrift for another five minutes. Um, okay. Oh, my gosh. Big announcement. Not big, but kind of a follow-up from last week. You're getting week. married. What's up? Oh, my God. I'm pregnant with triplets. Um, no. I watched two of the big winners from Sundance. I watched oh. Coda. God, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. I have to. I have to. I watched Coda, and then I watched Summer of Soul. Yep. Or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say anything, because I don't want to spoil them. Obviously, both phenomenal, fantastic. They were great. And they actually paired well together. Interesting. Yeah. It's just funny, because last... Last week, we were talking about Sundance, and I think I said it to you a million times, but I was like, all the movies that I wanted to see were sold out. Yeah. And I was so, I don't know, I had made my peace with it. And then Liam's dad, my boyfriend's dad, 
got tickets for the winning movies. So uh-huh. yeah. the best part is that I didn't have to pay for them. But anyway, that's kind of, I guess, the most exciting thing that I've watched. How about you? What have you been watching? I've been watching a lot of TV. I am enrolled in this TV writing class. So part of our assignment is to watch a bunch of shows so we can... Like... <laughs> Sounds so hard. Film school homework is so hard. <laughs> Listen, I joined that class a week late because I just transferred into it, and it was actually really stressful because I didn't understand the assignment completely, and I thought I had to essentially watch the whole show, binge like four shows in two days, and I was like, I don't even know if there's enough hours in the day to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the shows were Brooklyn Nine Nine, so <gasps> I watched the pilot, and she actually made us watch the last episode of the last season. So it's such a oh, weird it's messed up jump, very messed up, yeah. I will be catching up on the rest of the seasons regardless. I watched the pilot for This Is Us. Mm-hmm. Never seen it. It's interesting. I, I'm not sure if it's a show I will continue, but the storytelling is interesting. I watched... Why am I blanking? I watched a few episodes of Pen15, Okay. which I thought were interesting. I'm not sure if it's totally my humor, but, you know, somewhat relatable. Mm-hmm. And then I watched... I watched the pilot to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Which I actually really enjoyed, so I will be finishing that. Wait, so did they give you a subscription to Hulu, or how are you watching all these shows? I think well, they're all on Hulu. I mean, I'm using your account. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know you are, because I see that that's what you've been watching, but what what do they expect from you? What yeah, I guess this? it's a little ridiculous. Like, I don't know how you would force someone to get a streaming service. I think it's I, maybe a little bit obnoxious that she's assuming that everyone has it and has access to it. Wouldn't put it past NYU. Maybe they have a little agreement with Hulu. They definitely do not. Oh, in the sense that, like, they want you to They're watch Hulu They're trying to Hulu push shows? it, yeah. Oh, got you. Okay. <laughs> They're trying to get you hooked. Oh, now we're getting conspiratorial. Yeah. Mm, the Film School Brats Conspiracy Podcast. <laughs> we should do conspiracy episodes. Ooh, for sure. Related to NYU. Conspiracy film number school. one, yeah. Yeah. And then the last thing I watched was The Wilds, which is the Amazon show. Which one do you like best out of all the pilots you watched? Oof. I mean, they're all very different. I think overall, probably Atlanta, to be honest. I just think it's a really compelling pilot. I'm mm-hmm. excited to see where it goes. And I, I like the style. I like the stuff that Donald Glover does with Hiro Murai, who's directed a bunch of his music videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny. I've only seen the pilot of Atlanta in a couple random episodes, mm-hmm. but I haven't sat down and watched the whole thing through. Okay. So are you ready to get started? <laughs> yes. Which one do you want to talk about first? I guess a little preface is that we're a little bit nervous to talk about these movies. Well, scratch that. Not nervous. We just overall had some thoughts that were more on the negative side. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess to throw it out there, we're not the biggest fans of these two films. I think even critically, they're not doing too well. Yeah. So it's not like we're spouting out any hot takes or anything but no i think they're they both have redeeming qualities and things that worked for us and things that didn't work and things that just resonated maybe with me and not with you or with you and not with me yeah so anyway let's just get into it uh i say let's start with the little things because we both watched that one first i guess we should just say like big spoiler warning for all these movies because i think it's just easier for us to talk about these two films is that okay totally fair for me cool also i don't think there's many 
I guess just the little things has a spoiler. Yeah, but we'll just put it out there. So if you haven't seen these two movies and you want to uh, probably watch those before listening to this. Mm -hmm. See you in four hours. <laughs> I can assure you all we are taking a 24-7 all-hands-on-deck approach to these cases. Guy's a shark. If he stops, he dies. He likes to drive. Probably has a decent car, maybe two. High mileage. He must really like my car. So overall impressions. Um, dated. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm thinking of. The most obvious comparisons I can make, and while you're watching it, you're just constantly thinking about are Seven, Zodiac, Memories of Murder, any of these other, like, 90s, early 2000s murder mystery cop thriller kind of films. And I guess, obviously, Seven, because I think plot-wise, it almost mirrors the plot of Seven. But... It's interesting to also know the history behind this movie because John Lee Hancock had written it in the early 90s before Seven came out and then I guess had been shelved for a couple decades. And now it's interesting to see that it's a period piece, even though <laughs> back when he intended actually, to make it, it was yeah. not actually. So at this point, I don't really know if it was a totally necessary or timely thing to make. I agree. For me, without having seen a trailer or anything and just going off of the poster i thought i've seen this movie already oh i know exactly what's gonna happen i know exactly what type of character everyone's gonna play mm -hmm. and that's exactly what i got genuinely everything every little prediction that i made i mean i didn't know the plot details but yeah. every little kind of overarching all the little things thought, all the little things that get you caught yeah, all the little things. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm actually glad that we made it our assignment to watch it because it's sort of interesting to have it in conversation with his son's movie. But right off the bat, I thought it looked pretty generic and not timely and just like I've seen it before and I didn't I didn't need it in my life. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it ish, but I didn't need it. Yeah, I can't say I was ever bored of the movie, but it is a very, mm -hmm. very slow movie. And I wouldn't even say it's paced particularly well. It's just very slow. Yeah. I will say what it did really well was it did capture the 90s. Like, it did feel like a 90s movie, and it kind of felt like it was made in the 90s. I'll give it this. It really scared me at the beginning. Yes. That when, when that girl is driving and just seeing the terror in her eyes. I will say, though, why in the world would you get out of your car i know if you're being chased i know who things that way it was insane to me yeah but if something had happened to her i'd be like okay some poor decisions were made here right yeah i thought that was also a little yeah. bit strange but it did scare me quite a bit at the beginning maybe the first 30 minutes i thought was actually it was quite chilling and and that's when i made the comparison to seven the most because seven i think it's pretty memorable in in the way it makes you feel i mean it has a lot of body horror and it's just kind of disgusting to see all the corpses yeah this was a little bit more psychological i guess so it, i was just fearing for my own life i was like oh man yeah i did keep turning down my volume at multiple points in the movie because i thought <laughs> there would just be some kind of loud attack or something but it's yeah 
I guess tone-wise, a little more on the side of Zodiac, where it's very unsettling, less mm -hmm. so graphic and gross. Yeah, it was not very graphic. I mean, there are corpses depicted and mostly just naked women, dead naked women. Yes. But for me, the most unsettling thing was when that couple was running together and then it split off and that car oh. starts trailing that girl. I was like, yeah. mental note, don't be outside <laughs> on your own ever again in your life. Just yeah. don't be out. But okay, so I think overall we did like the eeriness of it, especially at the beginning. But for me, it totally lost me the second that Jared Leto showed up. He first of all, yeah. No, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say that he shows up way too early. Way too early. But at the same time, maybe that's part of it, you know, of playing with our expectations because I knew. Here's everything I knew about this movie before going in. Denzel Washington and Rami Malek play cops. And Jared Leto is a murderer. He plays Jared Leto. <laughs> But the thing is that by the end, when you're not sure whether or not Jared Leto was the murderer, I thought that was actually pretty well done. Super unsatisfying, of course, as an audience member. But pretty well done because even the choice of casting a huge celebrity that is known for being, you know, taking on creepy roles... Having them be the main suspect, I stopped questioning it. And that's that's really what I enjoyed about this movie was that a lot of things actually didn't make total sense or didn't really convict him as the killer. But because you have this star and because these two police officers are so obsessed with closing this case, all logic went out the window and I was convinced. I, I was almost thinking, how has he not been arrested yet? So that I will say was pretty successful for me. At least in just switching it up a little bit. See, that's actually a problem I had with the movie was that I, th I think it's kind of clear toward the beginning when they start questioning Jared Leto and they keep insinuating that there's no proof, you know. Mm -hmm. So I kind of figured that it was going to head toward the route of these cops are eventually going to become overly obsessed about it. They're going to go insane and they're going to meet some kind of bad fate. Mm -hmm. So my problem with that arc that kind of character arc was that i never understood why the fuck remy malik was doing the things he was doing i agree okay maybe my biggest problem with this movie is one it's too long but on the flip side of that it feels like what it's trying to do needs to be achieved in like four five eight episodes of a mini series i get what you mean because i also was really thrown off by remy malik's character jimmy and maybe that is because When we first see him, he is pretty rude towards Denzel Washington's character because he blocked him in. But then, right away, it kind of seems like he's a rookie all of a sudden. Yeah. Because they, they paint Rami Malek to be like, oh, he actually is a great detective. He's like the hotshot. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, he can't think of anything. It's just a, a terrible detective is relying entirely on Denzel Washington, a man who he's never met. I mean... Although he's heard the stories and has heard of him. But we, we never see Rami Malek's character shine as a detective. I think actually he makes some pretty, pretty dumb choices. Especially, you know, getting into the car of a suspect. Yeah. And I, digging and digging. I, I kept thinking, why in the world are you digging still? For what? Obviously, there's no body here. Like, there's yeah. no way. And what if you find a body? What then? 
this guy's going to drive you to the police station and turn himself in. It just made no logical sense. That's that's That was the problem for me. It's because I understood like the character just purely by design of, mm-hmm. of this kind of movie. Like The character had to have that arc. Like, he had mm-hmm. to descend into insanity yeah. through his obsession with the case. But Parallel Delta right. Washington's own trajectory, yeah. But all the decisions he was making, I never felt like a person like him would ever do that. I agree. I think his character was the weakest link. Because even in the interrogation room, it was always Denzel through the phone that actually had the thing to say. Yeah. So it kind of was a mismatch of what we were told about Remy Malik's character and then what we saw, which was him messing up every single opportunity. We're not even realizing to look at the apartment like across the street from the murder. I don't know. All these things that seemed silly to overlook. Right. Something really interesting that you mentioned earlier before we started recording was you would have liked to have seen Jared Leto and Remy Malik switch roles. Absolutely. I stand by that. And I think about it, and I think that would have been something really interesting because Jared Leto could be playing something a little more normal, mm-hmm. you know, put on the fake nose or whatever. But I could see him as this, like, obsessive cop. And then Rami Malik can do a good creepy person. He can go zero to creepy real quick. I mean... He did in this movie, too. He's already he, a little bit creepy in this movie. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And he gets really disturbed by the end. Yeah. I think Jared Leto, maybe to no fault of his own. I mean, people are casting him in these roles. But he's sort of been doing the same thing for the past five years. And it's just a little bit exhausting to see if you've been somewhat following his career. Because the moment he, sho- he shows up, all the cards are on the table. You know, nothing he's saying surprises me. Yeah. It's just the the types of characters he's been playing or the types of characters he's been attracted to and and all the acting choices that he makes that are just trying to turn the creepy up to 11. Yeah. I think overall just nothing very challenging about what the material is giving or trying to explore. I will say sort of as some redeeming qualities. I really appreciated what they were doing or what they were trying to do at the end where you kind of point the camera back at the cops. But now I'm looking at looking at this movie through a 2020 lens and i'm thinking these people just murdered a man and there's no reason why because of their job they should get away with it so i like that it's questioning a little bit more the the police rules and how you know no one should be above the law even though they do get away with it but see that's the thing for me too it's like it feels dated there as well because in a real life situation especially nowadays he kills jared leto you just go back to the office and you say he pulled a gun at me or he threatened me and whatever and and you get away with it you don't have to do this whole elaborate murder cleanup thing whole epilogue i also did not understand that i the whole situation was super creepy and there was no way that it was gonna result in anything else but either finding a dead body or taking down jared leto how how was this a surprise to anyone and why yeah there was no reason (laughs) to bury him and and so that's where I was kind of weirdly at odds with the whole cop thing again, like looking through, as you said, looking through the 2020 or 2021 lens now. It's like still a couple of degrees of separation removed from what I understand a cop can do. Yeah. You know, it's like this would be a really easy situation in theory for a cop to get away with. Talking about it a little bit now, I think I appreciated the things that the movie made me think about more than what the movie was actually accomplishing. Sure. Overall, Miss Mark, overall, I stand by my initial thesis that I had already seen it. 
before ever seeing it, before knowing what it was about, I had already seen it. Yeah, if you want to watch a slow burn cop thriller about obsession, then watch Seven. Watch Seven. Watch <laughs> Zodiac. Memories of Murder. Watch Memories of Murder. Watch Prisoners. All great and even incredible films that I think are a lot more coherent than this film. There's also a lot of weird religious imagery and symbolism yeah, that, that gets with thrown no around. payoff. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so favorite scene of this movie, and then let's move on. You got me there. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought it was actually interesting when Jimmy gets the red hair clip. Oh, yeah. And then I was like, oh, shit, it was him. For and a second, I thought maybe it was Nzel Washington himself that was the murderer. Well, I mean, and then when he like, sent that clip. And then two minutes later, you find out that he had he bought, bought it. one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, yeah, actually, I, you know, I think it makes the story weird. <laughs> like, then I totally. Are you going to say? I thought you were going to say, oh, actually, I fucking love this movie. It was great. <laughs> it was genius, and I'm just now realizing it. No, I mean, that little <laughs> twist is interesting because it shows that Denzel's character doesn't want Jimmy to go through what he's going through. Mm-hmm. But it also kind of just opens up so many more questions and doesn't really make the movie make any more sense. No, not at all. But, yeah, good scene. Yeah. For me, my favorite scene was when... Denzel Washington is at the morgue and then he starts talking to the body on the table. He's basically saying like, I I understand you. I know what you were going through. You knew him, didn't you? You invited him in and you had that little feeling. That was incredible. I loved it. Yeah. And it was very early on that I was hooked and I hoped it was going to go more of that route. I don't know. I guess I just wanted a psychology lesson in the, like a two-hour psychology lesson of the role of the victim and the role of the killer. And yeah. that's not what I got. But I, they teased me a little bit with that scene and that's why it was my favorite. Because it was, it was weird because I didn't know, was he blaming her? Because he was like, I, no. <laughs> um, I don't know. But no, he was just haunted by all the all the victims. But that one scene I thought was great. Okay. So with that said, let's move on to Mr. Washington Jr. <laughs> John David Washington and Zendaya. Yep. And Malcolm and Marie. You know what, Malcolm? I feel like once you know someone is there for you and once you know they love you, you never actually think of them again. It's until you're about to lose someone that you finally pay attention. Well, what is it, Marie? What do you want? Really? Do you want to go there? Yes. Okay. Written and directed by Sam Levinson, who has done the infamous... Not infamous. Infamous. The highly... Famous? <laughs> the highly coveted Euphoria, which I have not seen. I've seen it. It's really good. Okay. Um, Something about... <laughs> okay, maybe this is a weird place to start this, but the writer-director of this film is a white man. Yeah, which... straight white man right a straight white man which i think should be considered when talking about this movie especially with all that this movie had to say about (laughs) filmmaking and the role of the director and the writer and and how critics can all just go to hell (laughs) i didn't know he was a white guy until i had looked into this movie Mm-hmm. So that kind of changed everything for me. A hundred percent. I wish maybe I had not known that seeing the movie and then after finding out and then like that would have totally mm-hmm. fucked up my perception of everything. How did that inform your viewing? Um, or like what what was what what stood out to you while watching it and knowing that 
it, it was a white writer director. It made me wonder, like, did he lampshade everything to absolve himself of criticism of everything he's trying to talk about in this movie? I think it made me want to criticize him more because it felt... Here's what this movie felt like for me. You want a hot take? Here's my hot take. This is a movie about two people that just needed to get laid. And secondly, it's about a writer-director that was butthurt about some reviews and yeah. just wanted to make a whole movie about it. This was a quick project, yeah. So It was written in six days. Yeah, because they had to shut down production on Euphoria, and then Zendaya came to Sam and said, can you write something that we can work on during this lockdown? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how this started. You know, I don't know like if this was something that was always in the back of his mind or if they kind of conjured up these ideas and they just stuck them all into this movie in this two hour long argument or what. But I mean, multiple things. First of all, both Zendaya and John David Washington are listed as producers uh -huh. in this movie. And apparently they had some input on the script. Who knows how much? Impossible to tell. But the other thing is that this felt like it had not been in his head for long. <laughs> to answer your question <laughs> i felt like i didn't know what this movie was trying to achieve i i don't know if this was supposed to be a portrait of what his idea of, of passionate love is supposed to be which That's by the it. way this movie depicts like a horribly abusive relationship incredibly toxic incredibly just like heartful frustrating abusive yes it's filmed and treated as if it's supposed to be like that way as if love is supposed to be tough in that way which is so problematic to me. I don't use that yeah. word often. I think, just to put a little asterisk on that, I think that most media has always glorified relationships as being difficult, as it's something you need to fight for, and it's only passionate if you have these incredible fights and these ups and downs and this, like, conquest and, like, all these obstacles that then a lot of people in real relationships... I've heard this from so many people... Are they saying, oh, my relationship's just boring? No, it's not. It's just healthy, and you're with a person that's, like, lovely. <laughs> that's all that's going on. But you have this idea in your head that it has to be very, like, dangerous and adventurous in a in a bad and, and hurtful way when yeah. that's not, you know, you should not live your life like that. Yeah, I mean, it's a horribly manipulative, verbally abusive, threatening dynamic that these two have in this movie. And it's just kind of uncomfortable to watch because i don't know what i'm trying to get out of this here's the, the thing that really took me out of this and why it felt like a little bit of a chore to be watching it is that basically the whole movie is one of them is going through a monologue where they're hurting the other person and the person receiving all those threats and all those hurtful comments is standing there taking it looking broken and then in this like snap of a finger, they switch roles. And then the person that was like looking like they were, you know, about to break down into tears suddenly is snapping back and being like, I don't care about anything that you said. And here's why. And here's like all my exes and here's all the places that we did it in. And like, I can break you like a twig. And then Zendaya's crying. And then she comes back again and she's like, actually, like, screw you. Like this movie's about it. Like they kept going back and forth. And I was like, which one is it? Are you broken? Are you really sad? Or are you having this fight? And why can't you take turns like arguing? Why does it need to be a whole monologue? It needs to end. They need to switch rooms. And then the, the next person will be like, you know, I've had some time to think about it. And here are all my arguments. It, it felt like a weird 
arbitrated debate. You know, like yeah. high school debates, yeah. which is like, we got to give them their time. Yeah. <laughs> Each presidential candidate gets two minutes to speak. Yeah. That's how it felt. <laughs> In between all of those, you have these weird moments where they are laughing with each other and they've made up, presumably, for five minutes and then they're back at it. And they're almost always having sex, but then they never do. And it's like, you gotta do this quicker because you like keep flipping back and forth. <laughs> the biggest thing with that is that it's not even an, a conversation that they're having about these topics. It's just Malcolm having an argument with himself about it, yelling for what feels like three and a half hours yeah. each time. <laughs> and then Zendaya just like has this one little comment and he's like, well, yeah, but taking that into consideration, blah, 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 blah. And he goes on for another like 45 minutes. So it, it didn't feel very productive, which I guess is one of the lines that they use at the very beginning. Zendaya's like, nothing productive will be said tonight. And she was right. <laughs> also, I just personally don't like it and as time goes on i dislike this more and more and more each time when movies are about movies and about filmmaking because like man it, it is this really like i i get this is your life but come on <laughs> this just feels so insular but like the deep philosophical aspects of filmmaking mm -hmm. or making art so I'm thinking a movie like Marriage Story, where obviously their lives revolve heavily around theater mm -hmm. and acting, but it's never about like the concept of theater or acting. Yeah. It's like all <laughs> the logistical things that, you know, have impacted them and their relationship, mm -hmm. but not these deep intellectual, like pseudo, -deep. Yeah. Yeah, like pseudo intellectual debates about their work. Exactly. And I got to say something that is always a bit weird to me, especially after going to film school is some movies approach to critics i'm thinking of birdman where they also do this where it's just like this critic is just a rotten like they're just like out for revenge they don't know anything when in actuality i mean yeah not every single critic will have a valid point or whatever but there's such a huge part of the industry yep and without critics trying to analyze and justify and just champion different artworks then this industry would not exist or you would be left with mostly blockbusters that can fit in the most branded content and can fit in the most cars and can get the most money out of right. like consumers. So I, I find it, especially when movies are trying to be or trying to talk about just the ephemeral beauty and all the ideas of film and whatnot and they're just trashing critics that to me just says then you don't know anything about anything and all your arguments are null and like invalid right there's a line in this movie someone says that is you take it too far and that kind of sums up my feelings about this movie where <laughs> they'll bring up quite interesting ideas but then they just take it too far like they just really talk about it too much <laughs> and and they also talk in a way that no human being alive talks yeah. at, at one point he goes you're being psychotic and she's like you're being hyperbolic who <laughs> and that's like a very tame little comeback yeah it's quippy but also that's like a normal response that she has quote unquote normal in this universe yeah everything else is like this whole like little essay <laughs> that they each prepare yeah. so i've been seeing on tiktok actually a lot of memes about this movie oh and there was this one guy that he was in black and white right like the he yeah. put a filter on yeah and he was like talking to whatever someone in his home 
pretending to be neighbors with Malcolm and Marie. And they're like, oh my God, he's still yelling about Barry Jenkins. Like, is she okay? <laughs> it was great. Anyway, that's all I have to say. It was very unconsequential. Unconsequential. Yeah, so I mean, as as deep as this movie wants to be or seems to be, I think it's still oddly emotionally hollow. Like, by the end of the movie, I was still watching these people in close-ups screaming at each other with really deep ideas, and I didn't really empathize with them. I agree. I think there are a lot of cool Oscar moments. Like, if you just took... Oh, <laughs> every single thing was an Oscar moment. That's what they If you just took like a 15 second clip of each actor completely out of context they're giving good performances mm-hmm. it's the dialogue it doesn't that work they're together. saying that doesn't really add up the way they're hurting each other too is it made me pretty upset to see their relationship um something else totally unrelated that i thought was funny was when he is reading the review and he's reading it's like it starts with the steady gamut. He's like, it was a dolly, you idiot. <laughs> and just keeps calling these tiny little things. He's yeah. like, she doesn't understand form or, or craft or whatever. It was the same fucking lens. It was the same fucking yeah. lens. <laughs> that I thought was funny. Because that I can actually see. I, I could see how filmmakers would be like, oh, I'm so I'm so beyond everyone else. They thought it was a steady gamut, but it was clearly a dolly. Yeah. <laughs> Only a true master like myself. What I'd recognize. It yeah. sounds like some Marlon Brando bullshit yeah. of I'm giving you two takes. <laughs> yeah. Do what you will with it. They're both perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Overall, weird pairing of these two movies. Well, Father hey, and wait, Son. Yeah. Do you have a favorite scene? Um <laughs> my favorite scene. <laughs> my favorite scene is when Malcolm is eating the mac and yes. cheese. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. He's eating the mac and cheese and he's yelling at her over like the entire house. And she comes back. Seriously, you just got seconds? <laughs> You're like yelling me over mac and cheese? How does that work? How does that work in your fucking brain? Hmm, what a cunt. Delicious mac and cheese. I don't know if we can say that word, but fuck it. Uh... Yeah, that uh, that's my favorite scene because it was so weird. It was so bizarre. Like also, the title card is over the mac and cheese, which was great. <laughs> <laughs> I the that whole part, I was just like the choices being made were strange. Uh, yeah, like he's angrily eating the mac and cheese. It just felt so inhuman. <laughs> it was great. I think it it really went downhill after that. Oh, so like ten minutes in. Ten minutes in. It peaked ten minutes in. <laughs> Okay, glad we agree. I think, yeah, I think that that scene just, like, stole the show. I don't know if, like, conceptually it's interesting, but I think the fact that it's in quote-unquote real time kind of hurt it as well. It just makes everything feel so much longer and drawn out. You know what's funny about it being in real time now that you mention it? We both watched this movie very late at night last night. I saw it at 2 a.m. because it was right after I finished The Little Things. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was sort of 2 a.m. for them, too. So I kept thinking, man, you gotta wrap this up. I gotta go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Continue it in the morning, please. <laughs> yeah. So that was actually funny. Yeah. Now that now that you mentioned that it was in real time. Yeah. Um, whatever. Watch it if you want to watch it. I still applaud it for trying something different. Um, I think it looks cool. You know, honestly, give... <laughs> If he had given himself maybe like an extra couple months to write a few more drafts, I think this would have been something really awesome. Yeah. 
I, I think the time crunch definitely hurt it because the characters didn't feel as fleshed out as they could have. Yeah. That said, I mean, it's really, it's really great that they made this movie during quarantine. Again, I said this to you before, but no one needed to tell me that it was filmed during quarantine. It clearly was. <laughs> like, that was part of it. But I guess here's my other issue with it. I'm not done. <laughs> my other issue with this <laughs> is that for the past, what, year almost now, most people, everything that, like, their our daily lives have been inside our homes with either like your family or like a significant other or like a friend or like your roommate or whatever trapped inside. So I don't know. I feel like there could have been better material <laughs> for this. I think I think that's why this felt short because I, you know, it's, it's what we've all been experiencing every single day for the past almost year. So I don't know. Maybe it was too early in the pandemic, you know, for them to, to do this. Mm-hmm. But I will say just to connect the two movies again, that Alchem and Marie definitely felt like a direct-to-streaming movie, which is not a bad thing. I'm just saying it felt very fitting. Yeah. The little things definitely felt more cinematic in that they were shooting for the theater experience. I'm not saying it was hurt by streaming. It's just interesting seeing two movies being released at the same time with totally different intentions. You know, like viewing expectations, I guess. Yeah, obviously the little things had that huge production behind it. Like mm-hmm. it's it's three Oscar winners in one movie. You know, it's like supposed to be a big event. I suppose. I don't know. Do you know a lot of people that have seen this movie? I feel like a lot of people have been skipping it. The little things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess it's mainly a critics thing. I mean, people have been watching Malcolm Marie. I know that's like mm-hmm. a big thing. Because well, because yeah. it's a day, you know. But well, also what I was gonna say is that I think a lot of more people our age specifically have Netflix over yeah. HBO Max. For sure. Yeah. So I'm just trying to do a very incomplete and inconclusive poll. <laughs> <laughs> trying to see, well, trying to see where people are even watching yeah. content and what they're you know subscribed yeah. to. Let us know, listeners. Send us an email. <laughs> Send us a goddamn email. Our inbox is empty. <laughs> A little passive aggressive. <laughs> Just a quick little insight into what's happening with this podcast. Liam, your boyfriend, is mm-hmm. going to start managing us. <laughs> yes. And he wants to expand a little bit, which might include a YouTube channel. And I think that'd be a cool place to ask some polls. Oh, yeah. Because YouTube has that polling feature. Man, YouTube's trying hard. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. I, I, like, I do want to somehow make this podcast a little more interactive and involved. I am super down for that. Well, this was a very weird, but somewhat fitting and like connected double feature. I would not recommend this as a double feature, but you know, if you're really into the Washington family, lucky you, <laughs> lucky month, <laughs> what a time to be alive. Right. I would say if you're going to watch these movies, watch them before midnight. Fair enough. Fair enough. I've been really into watching movies in the morning. I know it's not for everyone, and I know it's a little bit chaotic, but... Yeah, I'm a night movie kind of guy. Well, me too, but then I fall asleep because I'm tired and I'm sleepy. (laughs) Yeah, but if I manage to start it at like 9 or 10 p.m., like, it works out. Fair enough. I'm just trying. Again, for science. I'll try to watch a movie (laughs) at every hour of the day, see what works best. Anyway, this was fun. I'm glad we realized that this was a father-son duo movie before recording this podcast. That would have been insane to just realize halfway through. Happy we realized it a couple hours before. 
but at least we did. At least we did. Least we didn't we did. have anyone else tell us this. Exactly. It was great. It was, <laughs> it was all internal. Anyway. See you all next week. Bye. Personally, I waved. Nobody I waved. sees that. <laughs> oh, cheer up, Squid. It could be worse. Yeah, you could be bald and have a big nose. Well, this is the end. <laughs>